Luke chapter 2, and today we'll begin in verse number 40. I'm preaching to you this morning a sermon called Lost and Found. This, of course, this title could lend itself to many different things. I am using this title to speak about your fellowship, your closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ. His presence, if you will. His manifested presence in your life. Dr. Ruckman, my pastor for years before I left America, he would constantly tell us what you have on the paper in front of you. The most difficult thing in the Christian life is keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I was a very young Christian when I first heard him say this, and as the years have gone by, I have said amen and amen over and over again because he's right. It is very easy to lose sight of the Lord in your day-to-day life. But let me tell you that it is also possible to find it again. It is precisely why I asked Armand to change things up this morning and have all of us sing page 204, to turn your eyes upon Jesus. We sang just now, His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then... Go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to tell. I remember several years ago, we'd have the students over to our house almost every Friday night. We called it Pucka Fridays. And we would gather together, sometimes 20, 25 students would come, and it was a wonderful time. And we would sing several songs before we'd go into whatever lesson or activity we were going to have. And one young lady, I'll not say her name, She was very fond of this song. And every time she would say, can we sing 204? Can we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus? And over and over again, she'd ask for that. And we'd begin to sing. And and I would watch as we'd all sing. She would often close her eyes and tilt her head towards heaven. And as these eyes closed, the eyes of her heart were turned upon Jesus And you could just see that closeness coming upon her. And I desire for you this morning also to do the same thing. If you have lost sight of the Lord in your life, to turn your eyes upon Jesus. At this point in the book of Luke, I think you're very familiar now with the context. Mary and Joseph have the wonderful privilege of bringing the Son of God into the the world. But let me remind you of something that when the angel came to Mary and said, you have been highly favored of the Lord, and through you we'd like to bring the Son of David, the Son of God into the world, the Savior, the Messiah, Mary could have said no. She could have said choose someone else. When the angel came to Joseph and said, your wife is with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph could have said, not me, not my family. They could have shut that down. And the reason I point that out is you also have a choice. The Holy Spirit, over the last few weeks and months, maybe He's been dealing with your heart and trying to convince you of your need for a Savior, of your need to have Jesus in your life, to have Christ formed in you. And and friend, it's a choice. He is not going to force Himself upon you. If you do not want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can say no. You shouldn't. I would strongly caution you not to. 
But Mary and Joseph had a choice. They chose correctly. With all the challenges that come with having Jesus in your life, and Mary and Joseph were well aware that things were going to get strange. Things were going to be different. Life would never be the same. They still said, yes, we want Jesus in our lives. And I hope you make that same choice. If you've never been saved, might this be the day that you submit to what the Holy Spirit's been trying to teach you and let Jesus come into your heart. Now, once He's in your heart, there are certain things that need to happen in order to build a relationship with Him. And that's the first part of our story. Point one on your outline, you can write one of two things, build a relationship, or you could write grow in Christ. Because actually I'm saying the same thing. To build your spiritual life is to grow in Christ. Look at verse 40 with me if you would. The Bible says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus was growing up. We've already read about the circumcision, the presentation of the child in the temple, and now it's time for him to grow. They've gone back to Nazareth. What did they do? Mary and Joseph are simply raising the boy the way God told them to. Jesus needed to grow. Might I say that after you get born again, you need to grow. It's time for you to start building your relationship with Christ. I've given you a verse on your paper, Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Do you see in that verse, you need to grow up into Him. He's the mold, and you need to grow up after that example. Ironically, in the book of Galatians, it says, Paul said, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Isn't this I want to say paradoxical almost. You're supposed to grow up into Him, but He's also growing into you. He is being formed in you. It's the whole, you're in the body, but He's in you. You're in the body of Christ, but Christ lives inside of you. Either way you look at it, you need to grow to become more like Him. Jesus needed to grow. And likewise, you need to spiritually grow. Can I point out a couple things about verse 40? It says, He waxed strong in spirit. Jesus was a strong-spirited child. This is not the same as being a wild, obnoxious, unruly, mischievous brat. Amen, pastor. Amen. (laughs) That's true. That's not the same. To be strong in spirit is not a bad thing as long as there's some structure. As long as there are some rules to this, Jesus was a respectful, obedient, submissive young man. You can see this in verse number 52, uh, 51. rather. He went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. Do you see that? Jesus was a submissive child. He was obedient, but he was also confident. He was confident. That's what it means to be strong in spirit. He was confident in that he knew his parents loved him. He felt comfortable when he sat at the family table. He could happily partake of the fellowship of his family without demanding constant attention through bad behavior because he knew his parents loved him. He knew that they would listen if he had something to say. I've heard often from parents, they say, I'm afraid to discipline my child, to tell them 
that they've done anything wrong because I don't want to break their spirit. Can I say that there's some truth in this? You do not want to be too hard on them because that can break them. The Bible warns us about this in the book of Ephesians, not to provoke them to wrath. You can be too hard, too critical. You can nitpick your children and thus break them. But can I also warn you against backing off too much, offering no structure, no wisdom, no lessons, no reproof, no discipline. What you're also doing is making the child weak. They grow up without any structure. They don't know right from wrong, left from right, when to sit down, when to be quiet. You're also breaking the child, but in the opposite direction. Proverbs chapter 29 on your paper, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The Bible tells us in verse number 40, the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Where do you think he got that? Filled with wisdom. You say, well, this is God in the flesh, so he already knew everything. Now, this is often a mistake that I, I hear made with Christians who believe in the deity of Christ. I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, but let's understand He's God in the flesh. There are some human limitations that come with this body, this human manifestation. Jesus needed to learn like all the other little boys. Now, we're not denying at the end of verse 40, the grace of God was upon Him, yes. But his mom and dad also had a responsibility to teach their boy. You can see it again in verse 52. Jesus increased in what? Wisdom. He had to learn some things. So he did not come to the earth with this downloaded omniscience, right? This, this God knowledge. Jesus learned as he went, as things was revealed to him. Now, Understand, even Jesus admitted this later in life. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. Jesus would hear from the Father. And yes, I, I get it that at times God, the Father, would allow Jesus to tap into this divine omniscience, no doubt. Jesus would know what was going on in people's hearts and things of that nature. So yes, very divine. But at the same time, we see His humanity here. I've given you another series of verses here. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, beginning there on your paper. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. You go farther in the book of Proverbs and you find where... The writer, Solomon, is saying to his son, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and you'll find favor in the sight of men and God. That's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4. Look at verse 52. Look at verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How did this happen? Because he listened to the people that were responsible for teaching him. He wore the advice of his earthly father and mother, not to, not to take away from his heavenly father teaching him. We'll see by the end of the passage that he was very mindful of that also. But his mom and dad, earthly speaking, added something to his life. He, he wore it as, a, as an ornament of grace and chains about his neck and his head. It was something special. 
Mom and dad, can I just say to you now, yes, your kids need to listen, but you need to be offering them some wisdom. Do you know how to teach them about the fear of God? That's where it starts. It's the beginning of knowledge, and it's the beginning of wisdom. In verse number 41, the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Every year. Now that might seem like a very boring, mundane verse. Let me tell you a couple of special things about this. His parents went. Did you know they didn't have to do that? The Bible says in Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 16, all the males of Israel had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. Passover, what we know as Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Only the men. That was the obligation, that was the requirement, that was the bare minimum, but this says his parents went. Mary went with. They, they went above and beyond the bare minimum. They knew what was required of the law, and they could have gotten by with just Joseph showing up, but they were a little more interested than the bare minimum. It says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast, every year. They didn't skip a year. Do you think it was convenient every year? You think probably in the course of all these years, maybe one of them was sick? They might have had business obligations. Maybe they had friends from out of town visiting. Maybe somebody's birthday. Maybe something had come up, but every year they made time for it. Every year. Verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. The way this is written, it says in verse 41, His parents went every year. And then in verse 42, When Jesus turned 12, they went up. It makes me think that this is the first time Jesus went with them. I can't prove that definitively, but it kind of looks like that. Son, you're 12 now. Time you learn how to be a man. Come with us. We're going to teach you about some obligations, some duties. It's written in the law that, we're suppo- that, that the men have to go. And little Jesus asked Big Joseph, why is mom coming then? Because we like the things of God. And we want the whole family to be exposed to it. And why not? It doesn't say she can't come. We don't want to do the bare minimum. Parents, can I encourage you to establish some holy habits in your home? Do not raise your children with the mentality of let's do as little as we can for God and that ought to be enough. Instill in them this desire that and not even desire maybe is the wrong word, this attitude that the obligations of God do not have to be carried out with a frustrated, bitter attitude. These commands that God gives us to build and grow a relationship, things that we should be doing on a consistent basis to get closer to God, they are not a burden, they're a blessing. They're a privilege to say, come to the temple three times in the year. Come every Passover and be reminded of the redemption that God has given to this nation. Jesus grew up in a home where the things of God were not complained about, but celebrated. We're talking now in point one about growing in Christ. Jesus had to grow up. This is part of His growth. This was Him growing up. Part of you spiritually growing up. Let me tie this together. You can be strong in spirit. You can have a confident, happy 
spiritual childhood. You can rejoice in your youth. You say, I'm not an experienced, mature Christian. Yes, but you're accepted in the beloved. Your sins are forgiven. You're seated in heavenly places, and that can give you some boldness. You don't have to be obnoxious and wild and unruly about it. But you can sit amongst the family of God and even though you've been saved maybe one week or one month or six months and you're just getting started, you can still hold your head high and say, I may not know as much as everybody else, but I'm part of the family and I'm accepted here. And they're going to be patient with me while I continue to grow. You know what Jesus had? He had some guidance from older, more experienced believers. I think the same is true for us. If we're going to grow, if we're going to build a relationship with Christ, take advantage of the older believers, the the more experienced, maybe more mature Christians. Take advantage of having a pastor who wants to see you grow. Take advantage of having a church family around you. That will provide structure and accountability when you need it. We don't want to be a church family that nitpicks you and provokes you to wrath. But we do want to be a church family that provides structure and accountability that says, hey, we're concerned about you growing up right. We don't want to make it too difficult. We don't want to discourage you. We don't want to break your spirit. But at the same time, we don't want you to be a child left to yourself. Do not expect to grow yourself into Christ. The way that God designed the body of Christ is that we need each other to grow. We need each other. We see in this passage something that helped Jesus grow up was having a home with healthy, holy habits where the duties, the obligations were blessings and not burdens, where they even went the extra mile. They didn't all have to attend, but they did. Those are the kind of things, that's the attitude that will help you grow into Christ and establish a relationship with Him. Let's get to verse uh, 43, rather. And point two on your outline, you can write this down, lose sight. Lose sight. Verse 43, and when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They had to be in Jerusalem for eight days. That was the feast. There was the Passover. And then seven more days, that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the family had to be there for eight days altogether. For eight days, every day, the family would go to the temple. And I'm assuming what happened on verse 43 is on that ninth day when it's time to go, Jesus, maybe this being his first time, he figured, well, every day we all gather at the temple. Surely this will be our starting point. Well, that wasn't the plan. Joseph and Mary, I don't think they had any malicious intentions here. I don't think they meant to leave him behind. I I, I don't read anywhere, hey, let's ditch him. Hurry, hurry. Get the donkey and go. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It says they had fulfilled the days and as they returned, they just gathered up the stuff and they had friends and family and off they went. I think it's interesting. We know where we're going to find Jesus. He's at the Father's house. He's down at the temple. He couldn't get enough of it. Even after the feast was over, he said, I want to go back. (laughs) Mom, Dad, wouldn't you like to have a 12-year-old that had that much desire to go to church? 
Hey, isn't it something? Isn't it something, mom and dad, when, when, you're, when your child wakes up on Sunday morning and says, we going to church today? Isn't it hard to tell them no? In verse 44, but they, supposing, oh, there's the word, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Here's what happened. They assumed that all was well. Mary and Joseph, three times in the year, they go down to the, to the feast. They don't get to see these friends and family as often as they'd like, just three times in the year. You know, you wake up on the ninth day, it's time to go home, and they're talking to this auntie and this uncle and their cousins and friends, and man, what are you going to do when you get back to Nazareth? And Joseph is thinking about you know, all the carpentry projects that he needs to uh, fulfill and the bills that they have to pay. You've got to work the field, and Mary's thinking about what to do at the house, and they're chatting with one another. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Nothing. This is just life. They're just carrying on with life. And this was very normal in their culture. And to be honest, I see it in Africa all the time. It's, it's very normal in African culture. You don't know exactly where your kid's at all the time. Come on, you can say amen right there. You know that. Even here at church, we got random kids walking through the building sometimes. Is, that, is it yours? Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it would be a little bit strange even. It'd be a little bit strange, wouldn't it? If the whole time, if Joseph and Mary just looked at Jesus the whole time, said, hey boy, we're going home now. Come on. Get on the donkey. Come on. Wouldn't that be awkward? I mean, Cabello's starting to feel weird. <laughs> right? You're getting uncomfortable, aren't you? <laughs> when we talk about keeping your eyes upon Jesus, we're not talking about this. Because that's not realistic. You cannot have a family, have a job, deal with your health, and all the time just sit there staring at Jesus. You can't do it. I'm trying to offer you something realistic. What they could have done before they got going, because they know how important that boy is, because they know they can't go a day without his presence, first thing you do is make sure he's with everybody. Before you leave Jerusalem, you need to at least know, oh, hey, Cabello's here. <laughs> And every now and then, rather than just assuming he's still here, you might want to just check, oh, there he is, all right, good. That should not be the extent of my relationship with him. Just a quick little check. I should take some personal time with him, right? Like any father should with his son, like any mother should with their children, right? You should take some, some better quality time, but you should at least, you should at least check and make sure that his presence is near. Now, when's the last time you checked to make sure Jesus' presence was in your life? When's the last time you called out to Him and you heard Him answer, I'm right here? Because that's what they did. Don't you know that's what Mary and Joseph did? They're heading back. And, and after a while, who knows? It, it says a day. A day. Does, does that mean a Jewish day like 12 hours? Or does that mean 24 hours? I, I'm going to say it's 24. You're going to see on the third day they finally found him. They went a whole day without saying, hey, Jesus. They didn't call upon his name for a day. It only takes one day without prayer. 
and you'll start to feel the presence of God just step back a little bit. It can take just one day of you not spending quality time in your Bible. It can just take one Sunday of you putting something else ahead of meeting with God in His house. Just once. For one day, they chatted with their friend. Nothing wrong with that, but what happens is we get entangled with the affairs of this life. They're not sinful, they're not wrong, but we get so busy at work and we get so busy with family and friends and doing these other things that we forget to take time to make sure that we know where we're at with Jesus and where He's at with us. When's the last time you called out upon His name and see if He answered? Jesus, you with us? Jesus, where are you? Can you imagine after a day they finally asked, can you imagine how Mary has been keeping all this stuff in her heart, right? All the former revelations, she had it all in her heart. And then she said, Jesus, Jesus, Joseph, Joseph, where's Jesus? Did, have you seen him? No, I thought you've seen him. I, I thought you had a good relationship. I, I, thought I, could just, I thought I could just work off your coattails. Oh, you mean I need to also track him? Oh, no, I, I haven't. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Moms, dads, how panicked would you be if you couldn't find your child? There are a few things in my life I don't want to think about. Number one, drowning. I hate that. Ugh. Ugh. Don't wanna, don't, I don't want that. Secondly, my child being taken. Don't want to think about it. How precious is that child? Now, wait a second. I know why. I, I, I understand. I'm not condemning you for being worried about your child being taken. But how precious is it that you have the presence of Jesus in your life? How, how serious should you take it, friend, that you called out and he didn't answer? Shouldn't that raise a red flag deep down in your soul to say something's, something's wrong? He was here yesterday and now I, something's not right. That should get our attention. Joseph, where is he? I don't know. When did you see him last? Last I saw was yesterday at the temple. And, well, you know, no, no, we, we went home, we had that dinner together. I, I, I know I saw him yesterday. I told him, oh, and then they start running off to the friends and family, which is the right thing to do, yeah? Verse 44, it says, they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. That's friends and family. That's the right thing to do because they're right there with them. Nothing wrong with that. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? You start asking other people that have probably seen him recently. You know what you do when you feel your spiritual life going the wrong way? You start asking the people around you, can you help me find him? Can you help me find him? Can you help me find him? Do you, can you lead me back to him? You know what the friends and family told him one after another? We haven't seen him. We haven't seen him. We haven't seen him. God help us. When the people we surround ourselves with cannot help us get back to Jesus. Verse number 44. Supposing him to have been in the company, they assumed everything was fine. I wonder if you're in that mode right now that you haven't checked. You haven't checked 
just supposing. You know, the other day I was driving around here in Potch, and I had a little light come on in my car. Blink, blink, blink. Hadn't seen that light. First time since I owned the car. I had been driving around so much, I forgot about petrol. Thank God for that little yellow light. Go get some petrol. Now, how do you think it works if I just ignore the indicator? Then I'd call one of you. Can you bring a jerry can? <laughs> can you help me push? Right? You know, how many of you remember cars before they had the flashing indicator? We had gas gauges, right? You guys remember that? Back in the early 80s, they started having the flash. As far as I remember, they started having the indicator that would come on. Before that, it was just a gauge, and you had to watch it. Nobody would sit there. There wasn't a little indicator, you know? There wasn't a little voice that saying, uh, put petrol in now. <laughs> Nothing like that. I remember being on the farm and I was driving my grandpa's tractors when I was 13 years old. And I'm driving. Man, that was so much fun. Big tractors. I felt like such a big man. Running over everything. Stuff I shouldn't even run over just because it was fun. Felt like a man. Tree stump. Oops. Just keep going. And then one day I'm out way out in the field. That thing just died. I said, oh man, I done killed my grandpa's tractor. I called my grandpa, my uncle. They came out there. They're checking it out, checking it out, checking it out. And they went, Mike, come here. Look at, look at the, sorry, Americanism. Look at the gas gauge. You guys know what that is, right? Petrol gauge? Okay. <laughs> look at the gas gauge. I said, oh man, it's way past E. I hadn't checked. I'd been driving around for hours in that tractor. I just assumed. I just figured it's been working this whole time. Why do I need to check that kind of stuff? You start supposing that everything's all right. You might want to pop the bonnet and just check everything under the hood. Make sure that it's all okay. You might want to make sure that you're just not going on about your life without Jesus in it. Because you'll make it a little ways. Some of you have made it four or five years. Some of you have gone 10 years. Some of you have gone 15 years since you checked the petrol gauge in your spiritual life. And now your life is starting to spit and sputter. And it's going to halt to a horrible stop. And you're not going to go anywhere. And you're going to be begging somebody, stop and help me. Because I've lost my way. You lose sight. You take your eyes off of them. And this leads us to verse 45. Part three on your outline, seek Him. You need to build a relationship and grow. That's where it starts. After you get saved, you need to grow. We see that in Jesus. And then they lost sight. And now part three, they seek Him. Verse 45, when they found Him not, they, tur they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking Him. They started by asking the friends and family, right thing to do. Then they go back to the last place they had fellowship with Him. The last time they felt the presence of God, the last time they, they knew Jesus was near, that's where they went. They went back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is a big place. And for whatever reason, they did not start off going to the temple. Verse 46, it came to pass that after three days, they found Him in the temple. Now, it took them one day to travel away from Jerusalem. It took them another day to get back to Jerusalem. That's two days. 
And then after three days, that means they walked around Jerusalem for an entire day. Where were they looking? It's a 12-year-old boy. Maybe they went to Stierkinikor. There's there's a new Marvel movie, maybe. (laughs) Maybe it's that. Maybe they went to the arcade. Maybe they thought he was, you know, playing pinball or video games or something. Maybe they went to the mall. Maybe they went to a playground. 12-year-olds, would you go to a playground? Sure you would, absolutely. God help them. Maybe they went to the, you know, they're having a cricket match or something. God help them. Maybe they went there looking. Maybe Jesus went to watch that. You know Jesus wouldn't watch that, but maybe, maybe, you know. (laughs) I love giving you guys a hard time about that, by the way. You know I'm kidding, right? Who knows where they went? But after three days... It says, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. You know, it's the strangest thing. We, we fall out of fellowship with God, and people look to restore that relationship in the strangest places. Rather than going back to the last place you had a close intimacy with him. They found him sitting in the midst of, of the doctors. What would often happen in these days, because it was a massive feast, Jews from all over the world would come back because it was required three times in the year. And these teachers, these doctors of the law, would stand right outside of the temple because there's many levels to it. There's the inner temple, the outer temple, and then there's the court of the Gentiles. They would stand all around the temple in its courts, and you'd have one teacher here and one doctor of the law there, and they'd be circling around. And people would gather around and hear these men teach. Jesus had evidently found himself one such group and was listening to these doctors notice what it says he heard them first that's respectful a 12 year old boy should not demand the room he should not be the main one speaking he first listened and then he starts asking questions sir i heard you say but what about this sir i'm sorry i heard you say but what about that You know, what's interesting is when Jesus began to preach as as a 30-year-old man, you know what he'd say? Matthew 5, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, but I say unto you. It was said by them of old time, but I say unto you. Interesting, at 12, he was already starting to think like that. Verse 47, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, I don't know what he brought up. I don't know what questions he asked I don't know what explanations he offered all I know is they were impressed and I know this to this day I'm still impressed amen never a man spake like this man when you go back and look at his teachings not just the teachings themselves but the illustrations the examples the way that he said it no one will ever improve upon the things that he said it's so strong that Jesus said if you build your house on my words, it's like a, a house being built, or a life, let's say you build your life on my words, it's like a house being built on a solid rock. Never man spake like this man. Starting at 12, they were already blown away. I hope the same is true of you. I hope you're blown away when you read what he said. In verse 48, and when they saw him, oh, how do you think that felt? Mom and dad? You've gone all over town looking for your boy. And finally, you see, you see this big crowd gathered around this 12-year-old dealing with the doctors. Right? The first thing you see is the crowd. 
You don't see your boy. And then they go, what's going on here? What's going on here? Anybody see? (gasps) Can you imagine the excitement? Come on now. Even a South African might get excited. Yeah, you would even show emotion. Sure you would. That's, that's, there, there he is. They were amazed, it says. Not, they, they didn't find Jesus cowering in a corner, which I wouldn't blame any 12-year-old if they got separated from their parents. You might expect them to be sitting down at the police station scared to death, not Jesus. Strong in spirit. He knows what he's talking about. He knows his place. He's not in charge yet, but he's allowed to ask questions. He's allowed to participate in the things of God. He knows that. Parents found him and said, what is going on here? Look at the next thing. His mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? (laughs) Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. You can picture this in your mind, can't you? Mary said, why have you did this to me? Why are you doing that? I mean, she is torn up. You know that she wasn't calm. Uh, Jesus, why? And it wasn't that. Why, Jesus? Why'd you do this to us? Well, we've been sorrowing. There's tears. Tears of, of, of amazement, tears of joy, tears of frustration. But notice the question. Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Wait a minute, Mary. Don't blame him. This was your fault. Jesus did nothing wrong. He tarried behind. He went where he thought he would find the family. Mary and Joseph did not think to check on him before they left. This is not Jesus' fault. But how often do we blame our spiritual setbacks on something God did or didn't do in our lives? Why would you do this to me, Jesus? Why won't you help me, Jesus? Why won't you answer my prayer, Jesus? Why won't you fix this and that in my life? Maybe you did it. Maybe the problems are your fault. Mary said, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And let me tell you, there's no greater sorrow in life than looking around for Jesus and not finding Him. In verse number 49, Jesus gives this famous response. He said unto them, How is it that you sought me? He asked them a question. So tell me, what did you do to look for me? How is it that you sought me? Tell, tell me, what was, your, what was your process here? Where'd you go first? Where'd you look first? How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus is asking them a, a very logical question, actually. Guys, I'm sorry that you're upset and sorrowful, but you should have known where to find me. Didn't you know that I am interested in the things of God? You know who my Father is. You know that I would be busy doing what He wants me to do. You know that. Why didn't you start here? Here at God's house. Notice the word Father's business. When you go to the Greek there, it's just the word Father's and there's no word behind it. It's wide open. Some people translate this father's things. Some say the father's house. I love what this Bible says, the father's business, because that covers it all. That covers it all. And I think that's what was truly meant. I've heard somebody recently tell me this. They said, you can get so busy serving the things of God that you forget to serve the God of the things. 
I understand why they say that, but be very careful with that statement. Be very careful. What they mean by that is you can fall into a spiritual rut and you start doing the things that you should be doing, but you do it without heart. You do it mindlessly. You just go through the motions and you don't want that, right? Are, are, we, are we okay? Are we together on that? That is true. You don't want to just do it mindlessly. You don't want to do it without heart, but listen, fix your heart. Don't ditch the things. The Father's business, the things of God, that is what's going to keep you connected to Him. When you start to uh, struggle to find Him and you've lost sight of Him and you want to get back to Him and get close to Him where you can hear His voice and be amazed at what He's doing and saying, then you need to follow the trail of the Father's business. Don't stop doing the things. Rather, fix your heart. God has put those things in our lives to keep us tethered to Him. You cannot. I know that God and the things of God are not the same, but they do go together. Husbands and wives, can I just ask you quickly, do you have a date night? If you don't, I would suggest that you get one or even two. Per week now, not, not, not per year. I saw some of you were making money like, per year, that's not so bad. Spend some time with that woman. Make her feel special. Make sure that you're really... Listen, you can be geographically close and emotionally far away. Amen. You can live under the same roof and not be close to that person. You can be under the roof of God's house and not be close to God. This is true. So what do you do? Ditch God's house? No! You fix your heart. You say, I've been going on date night with my wife every week for years now. And you know what? We just sit there at the restaurant. We know what we're going to order and we have the same conversation. And now, you know, we don't even talk anymore. We've had the same conversation so many times. We just sit there and look at each other. And that is one of the most depressing things when Christina and I go on a date and we're sitting there. We see some other couple and they're just not talking to them. I want to go sit at the table and say, so how are you guys doing? Bless your heart. Say something. I've given you a passage. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 7. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? This is the woman asking the man, Hey, where can I find you on your lunch break? I'd like to have a little extra time with you. Good question. Now, here's the man Playing hard to get. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. Now, I honestly think that the man, as a shepherd, he's not quite sure where he's going to be at lunchtime. Any of you men have a schedule like that? So busy going here and there, you're just not sure? So you know what this man says? So I'll tell you what, can't tell you exactly where, but I can tell you how to get there. Just follow the breadcrumbs, follow the trail. You'll see that there will be some other shepherds follow their sheep because, you know, where the grass is good and there's plenty of water, all the shepherds take the sheep there. So if you start following other shepherds and their sheep and their tents, those are indicators that you're getting close to where you'll find me. So I can't give you a precise spot and a precise time, but I can give you some things to do and to look for that will help you find my presence in the heat of the day. Follow the trail. 
What was his business? Shepherding. He says, all right, so be busy about the business. Find some others busy about that business, and you'll find the trail right to me. Say, date night has grown cold and boring. Don't stop date night. Don't divorce your wife. Fix your heart. Spice up date night. Get creative if you have to, but don't ditch the thing. Ditch the bad attitude. Stop looking at it as a burden and an obligation, but as a privilege and a way to keep things fresh and exciting. Verse number 50, it says, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. When he said, I must be about my father's business, they scratched their heads for a minute and said, What is he talking about? Now, I think they're fully aware that God is his father. So I don't think that part of the statement puzzled them. But when they, when they heard him say, my father's business, he's 12 years old. What does he mean, the father's business? What do you mean, the things of God? What, what are you talking? What things must you be busy with at the age of 12? What could you possibly mean? At the age of 12, Jesus is already aware that what I'm doing now is going to prepare me to serve God later. So now's my time to listen and learn, ask questions, gain knowledge, take the ideas I have about God and bounce them off the sounding board of these other doctors. Let me get ready to serve God later in life. You know what you do when you come to church? You listen. You learn. Afterwards, you can ask questions. What do you mean by this? And how do I use that? And, and what you're learning today, you might use it five years from now. You might use it ten years from now. Jesus, 18 years later, the things He's learning in this passage, He puts it to use. Now, Mary and Joseph, they couldn't see at 12, how can this be something profitable? Jesus had a longer look. He says, guys, if you want to seek me properly, you're not going to find me by going here and there around Jerusalem. If you want to seek me, follow the trail of the Father's business. You say, but I don't get it. How does, how does doing this, how does reading my Bible, praying every day, coming to church, singing the songs, witnessing to people, uh, coming to Bible, so how does all of that, how is that going to help me I don't understand how all of that's going to make me a better. If you don't understand right now, just keep following. You'll get it. How about you give it a try for a while and see what a difference it makes in your life? Rather than bouncing all over Jerusalem seeking for what? Some sort of peace or joy that the world will never give? How about you turn your eyes upon Jesus and let the things of earth grow strangely dim? And see if that doesn't work. The last thing on your paper, and we're done, you can write maintain. Number four, maintain. In verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Before Jesus could become the greatest leader the earth has ever known, he was first a great follower. Isn't that something? Before he ever asked anybody to submit to him and follow him, he submitted to the authority in his life and followed them. He was subject unto them. Every great leader must first be a great follower. Jesus is experiencing the whole gamut of what it means to be human so that he can tell you and I what it really means to be human and how it should be, how it should go. 
Notice at the end of verse 51, his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Mary was ever learning. Don't you remember other passages like this? When the shepherds came, she pondered it in her heart. When Simeon spoke, she kept it in her heart. She's constantly learning, taking all this in. And even here, she kept this in her heart. Jesus said, I'm, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And Mary kept that in her heart. Every day as she is teaching Jesus, now here's how you do algebra. And here's how we write this in Hebrew. And let me teach you the history about the Greeks and the Persians. You know, giving him homeschool. Joseph is saying, come here, Jesus. Let me show you how to swing a hammer and hit a nail teaching him to be a carpenter. Mary, keeping it in her heart, going, now, he must be about his father's business. Now, what about me? What part do I play in the father's business? I'm going to ask you to keep a few things in your heart as we close. When's the last time you checked to see if Jesus is truly nearby? I bet Mary kept that in her heart for a while. I bet she never forgot the time she lost Jesus. I bet the next time they went anywhere, that was the first thing on her mind. Let me make sure he's close. May I ask you please to keep that in your heart every day. Seek the Lord. Seek His strength. Seek His face continually. Do you appreciate the things of God as much as you should? His house, His book, His prayer closet, his family? Are you concerned and interested in the Father's business? I wonder how many times Mary asked herself that. My 12-year-old, he can't get enough of the house of God. My 12-year-old brought me back to the house of God. Now what if I, as the mom, as the parent, set that example for my kids? Maybe there's some other things in this passage that you need to keep in your heart. In verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And from this point, the story closes. He's now 12. The next time we meet him, he's going to be 30 years old. You know what he did for 18 years? He maintained. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do. When he turned 30, now all the special things start and the calling of God to go preach and heal and all the miracles. But until then, he stayed busy doing those obligatory, duty-bound things that God wanted him to do. How about you, friend? Will you keep that in your heart? I want to stay as close to him as I can and just maintain. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and some music will play softly. I think there's a lot we can learn from a 12-year-old Jesus. There's a lot we can learn from Mary and Joseph in this passage, isn't there? It's so easy to lose sight of Him in our lives. It happens so quickly. We don't mean to. It just happens. But now how do we get back to Him? He's told us how to find Him. Use the things of God, the, the Father's business. The things that God is interested in. 
In just a moment, I'll pray. And I'm going to be praying that maybe if you've lost sight of Him, that today you'd start that search. And, and l- let me save you some time. You don't have to go all over Pachas through Him to find it. You know where He's at. He's waiting for you to show up and say, Jesus, it was my fault. I left you here. You didn't abandon me. I got busy with other things and I forgot you. That's where it starts. That's what you do when you finally find him. Don't blame him. Take responsibility. Perhaps today you're here and you've never been saved. My heart's desire for you is just like Mary and Joseph accepted the calling to have Jesus in their life. Would you accept that today? Listen, you can't lose what you don't have. If you've never started a relationship with Him, you can't lose it. You don't have it. So how about today? Is anybody here that would say, Pastor, just pray for me. I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I, I'm thinking about it. Anybody like that? Just Nobody's looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. I, I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Lord, you know we're, we're so frail about these things. It's so easy for us to have our attention drawn away. Even the best of us, God, Mary and Joseph, (laughs) that was the best of the best, and even they lost sight. Help us, Lord, to follow that trail back to You. We do not want to underestimate how special it is to have You walking closely with us. Help us to continually grow, to maintain to just stay busy about the Father's business. And Lord, for anybody here that's not saved, please continue to prick that heart until they see their need clearly and open their heart to You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time. Lord willing, see you tonight. We do have Bible school tonight, 6 o'clock. So if you'd like to be there at the house, you're more than welcome.